We're going to pass the piece for another 25 minutes. That way um, we can have a really short sermon today. No, just kidding. Good morning, everyone. We all have those journeys, that, uh, those trips that are especially memorable for us. And so today we're going to talk about uh, one of those journeys that is recounted for us in Scripture. But I want to share this one journey that we had as a family because it was especially memorable. In 97, our family went to Texas for me to be able to attend some classes at Dallas Theological Seminary. And despite the fact that it was going to be a rather long journey to travel from here back to Texas and then take these classes, I really wasn't expecting much excitement. But we were wrong. On the second night of our journey back, we couldn't find a hotel anywhere. We finally find this hotel, which we have dubbed the Executive Bugs and Sweets. And, you know, we spend the night after literally wiping off the top of the bed coverings all the bugs that had died. And we kind of sat on the bed. We, we decided we're going to leave the luggage up a little bit higher than normal, like on above the ground level, because we just didn't know what was going to be happening in the middle of the night. So that was exciting. Then the next morning, we thought, okay, it's done. We're done with the, uh, the excitement of this trip. And we get in the car, and as we're driving, now you have to understand, we have just crossed over the state line of Texas. So the only thing around is dead armadillos on the side of the road. I mean, literally, dead armadillos on the side of the road, and there's nothing as far as the eye can see. And I hear this weird little squealing sound in the car, which I just can't quite figure out. It's a Sunday, we're driving, and I'm not really quite sure what to make out of the squealing sound, so I do like any good guy, and I ignore it. And so we just keep driving, and as, uh, as we're driving, all of a sudden we have this really neat feature added to our experience. And then the neat feature was that all of a sudden the power steering went. Like, oh, well, that's interesting. Uh, no power steering. I used to drive manual steering. I mean, it's not crazy. This is very doable. But I thought, odd. It's not normally how this works. So I'm thinking, we're 80 miles from destination. Press on. So I look down just to make sure I'm looking at the dashboard, make sure everything is in line. Temperature gauge is not climbing too high. Nothing weird going on there. Just no power steering. So I think, well, that's really weird, but we start going along. And then out of nowhere, we see this gas station finally come into view. My wife, not always trusting the wise insight of her husband, said, sweetie, I think we should stop at that gas station. And I did like any guy should do in that instance. I said, no, we don't need to stop, sweetheart. I think we're good. She goes, no, 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 I really think we should stop. So for those of you who think the guy is the head of the home, you've probably learned that the wife is the neck and can turn the head any way she wants. And so we went ahead and we pulled off. We arrived at the gas station, and as soon as I parked the car, steam just starts coming out of the hood. I'm like, I'm looking down at the dashboard. Now it says it's hot. I'm like, awesome. So I'm thinking, well, this is not good. It's Sunday. I have classes starting the very next day, and I'm thinking, how is this going to work? So we go into the Love's gas station, and I 
trying to figure out, well, I don't even know who to call. We're in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to ask this lady back there. Maybe she knows who we can call. So I go up to the counter because there was, you know, like a convenience store there as well. And, and I said, ma'am, I'm wondering if, if you could help us. I'm looking for, if there's a mechanic or, or something in the area that we could call. And she says, sir, it's Sunday. I got that. Yeah, I know it's Sunday. I said, knowing that I needed to break this down a little bit, I said, okay, well, let's pretend it's you. You're driving cross state. You're driving along. You're in the middle of nowhere. You land right here. And when you park, your car's got steam flying out the hood like this. What would you do? She goes, I run. <laughs> I knew I was not going to get far. We signed up for AAA. We did find a solution to that. But it was quite the interesting start of a journey. And by God's grace, some people came. Uh, we were renting from uh, some landlords that were 80 miles away. They actually drove out to meet us. And there was a whole second adventure, which I won't even go into. But God made it possible for us to get to where we needed to and to finish the journey. But the journey did not go as expected. We're going to talk about in Acts chapter 15, 36 through 40, and then chapter 16 and 17. And if you have a Bible, please open up to that now. You guys probably know as we go through this series, Who Do You Think You Are? We're covering large volumes of Scripture. And because of that, we're only going to take snippets at different points along the way. But we're going to go over Paul's journey. And Paul's journey, while the basic idea behind the journey was he knew that he wanted to go and strengthen the churches and he wanted to give the message that the Jerusalem Council had given him, the journey is going to have some unexpected turns along the way. So the first thing that I want to do is we're going to break down. I want to give you kind of a roadmap of where we're going for our journey. And we're going to talk about the context We are also going to talk about the challenges, the cracks, the chains, and the culture that Paul is going to be working with. So if uh, you'll turn with me, uh, Acts 15, 36, Paul's going to set out on his missionary journey all the way from Antioch, which is on your right. Eventually, he's going to go make it all the way to Corinth. We're not going to cover that far today, but he wants to travel up into Asia and uh, do some ministry along the way there, and we're going to see how God redirects. But let's see how Paul's journey starts. In Acts 15, 36, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. What a great start. Their goal is to strengthen the churches. Their goal, as Ed hit last week in the Jerusalem Council, was to basically share the essence of the gospel, which we got in Acts 15.11, that we are saved by grace 
In 1511, it says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Great message, great plan. The journey is mapped. But where does it start? Right out of the gate, there's disagreements. Tough way to start. But here's what's cool. Even in that instance, God just continues to advance the gospel. God continues to advance the gospel. And that's because godly disagreements can still be used for godly purpose. And so it doesn't always have to show that somebody was clearly wrong and clearly right. And what's interesting in those scripture passages, we get no indication as to whether or not somebody was wrong and they should have changed their view. So the message was going to be spread, but the start was tough. Now, there's some challenges along the way. In Acts 16, 6 through 8, we get a glimpse of those challenges. In addition to not starting the way Paul wanted, he gets a couple of no's. And these no's are, I would think they have to be tough for somebody like Paul. Hey, God, don't we have this really tight relationship? Let me tell you, God, what I want to do. See, what I want to do is I want to go to Asia, and I want to go to to Bithynia, and I want to share in these regions because, man, Lord, they need you. They need you. And God twice says no. He says in Acts 16, 6-8, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, where we had learned in chapter 16 that Paul was hoping to go to both of these regions, to Asia and Bithynia. But, so God twice says no. Now, here's what's interesting. Sometimes we're trying to follow God's plan, and when we're trying to follow God's plan, and God kind of redirects, our compass dial gets spinning. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what God's up to. So we're trying to figure out, okay, what is God doing here? Paul's got a great message, great plan, but he's getting these weights and these no's. A lot of you are probably well aware that it wasn't too many years ago, about five years ago, where Gateway embarked on this idea, hey, that we could build a building. We could build a building and honor God in this area by actually taking the work that God started here and putting this building in place and we could serve the community and great things were happening. They were on the verge of selling the land. They were on the verge of kind of piecing everything together. And the market went south. And if you had been here five years ago, you could see it. You could feel it when you walked in. That to a person, there was a sense of discouragement. There was this sense of, I don't know. I don't know where it's going. We thought we were doing what God wanted. We thought we knew where he was leading us. It just didn't work out. And it was paralyzing. And yet when we look at Paul, Paul doesn't skip a beat. Paul looks at this and goes, okay, guess not going to to Mysia. Guess we're not going to Bithynia. Okay, I'm just going to keep on serving, Lord. And he goes off and he's strengthening the churches. And we get in these passages that the churches are growing daily. He just keeps on getting on. 
See, there is a mark here of perseverance. And there would be a call that, that he would get, but before we get there, I want to think about perseverance in the context of a couple of things. Perseverance and faith. There's a perseverance of faith, and, and there's a perseverance, in addition to faith, I think of evangelism. He wants to spread that gospel. Steve Jobs has an interesting life story of his own, his own journey, where he's traveling, or he's executive of Apple, this is years ago, and the corporation really begins to struggle. And so he is trying to lead, but the corporation is not doing well. Now, if you know Apple now, you probably know that it's doing okay. It may be the first company in the world that becomes a trillion-dollar company. But back in the day, Steve Jobs was doing such a poor job in the eyes of the directors of the company that even though he founded it, they fired him. That's a rough day. When the company you started, you're told you're no longer allowed to work for. And he would have to persevere and push through that and reinvent himself in order to become the guy that eventually could lead again. And so I love this quote from Steve Jobs. He says, I'm convinced that about half of what separates the successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. I wonder if our Christian walk has become too easy. I wonder if our Christian walk has been reduced to, if it's not instant success, it must not be God. I had this uh, great conversation with a professor in Texas where I said, I wrote this article, I submitted it to the Discipleship Journal. I worked so hard at writing this article, and I put it in, and they rejected it. And I said, I guess God's trying to tell me that I shouldn't write. To which my professor quickly quipped, I think he's just telling you he doesn't want that article at Discipleship Journal. Because we don't know oftentimes how to persevere. We don't know how to push in to God. We don't know how to continue to press forward to acknowledge that God is still in the midst of our circumstances, still guiding us even when the journey gets hard. So we face challenges. So the next C I wanted to hit is the cracks in Acts 16, 1 through 15. So Paul finally gets this call. He sees a vision of somebody from Macedonia saying, hey, come over here. So the places that he had set out to go to were not immediately available by the Holy Spirit. However, Macedonia was, to which he immediately picked up and went. And we're going to read that account in chapter 16. So Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. First crack I want you to notice is that even though we're not at the final destination yet, there were some cool things already happening. Paul picks up Timothy. Timothy's going to become a lifelong friend for Paul. Timothy's going to become 
a protege. We're going to get a couple of letters in the New Testament written to Timothy. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down the Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, this is a word you can miss, we sought to go on into Macedonia. You say, okay, why did you get so excited about we? See, up until then, there were no we references. This is actually our clue that the we means the author of this book, i.e. Luke, just entered the picture. So in Troas, along the way, Paul would pick up Luke. Somewhat of an influential guy. Happened to write the book we're now studying, as well as one of the Gospels. We have to work in the cracks. Find those places where we have a chance to minister. Find those places that we can continue to serve along the way until God makes it clear what we're doing and when we're doing it. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. It's just fun saying some of these names. And the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to Riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So now, as they get there, they don't actually have clear direction from God of, okay, here's what I want you to do. Step one, I want you to go find some lady named Lydia. Step two, you want to actually go down by the river. There's some people praying over there. Step, it doesn't work that way. They're making assumptions. They're making guesses. They're like, hey, uh, I heard some people are praying over down by the river. Do you want to try to go minister there? Because it was Paul's custom to go to some kind of religious place. Whether it be a a synagogue or a place of prayer, Paul's going to try to find that place where people are sensitive and listening. So he goes down there and he does find a woman named Lydia who becomes his first convert and Philippi, the first church which he plants by God's grace. I think it's kind of interesting that the vision was of a man, but God actually had a woman calling him to Macedonia, I'm guessing. So the cracks, though, are important along the way. But you know what? Unfortunately, there are chains as well. In Acts 16, 25 through 40, and at this point uh, we have to summarize, so Paul begins to just share the gospel and begins to share the message with these people, and they're coming back day after day, week after week, and he's having a huge impact. And he would go down to the river, and then just to make it more exciting, there's this slave girl there who comes out and says, these are servants of the Most High God! These are servants of the Most High God! Which I can imagine if they happened here when you were preaching some week, that would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it, Ed? Yeah, if, you know, Ed's trying to give his next point, and... I might just start shouting that next time. This is a servant to the Most High God. It'd be distracting, would it not? Paul doesn't do something right away, but what he does do is over the next couple of days, he's continuing to share the message, and this slave girl is still there. These are servants of the Most High God. Get out of her. Boom. In the name of Jesus Christ, demon's gone. 
I don't know exactly what the scene is, but the owners know immediately that the girl has gone through some kind of transformation. And they're a little upset. They're upset because this girl apparently was able to foretell the future. I'm not sure exactly how that works. The, you know, I, I have no doubt that demons are quite intelligent, and because they can see a lot more than we can in our circumstance, maybe they could figure some stuff out. Whatever the story was, when this demon left, she lost that ability. The owners are furious. These guys are troublemakers. Lock them up. And so they end up in chains. Paul and Silas end up in chains. They're in the the jail cell. You know, I'm thinking at different points along the way, just like Gateway back uh, five, six years ago, or whenever, uh, whenever it was now, and that discouragement, I mean, that's so easy for us, isn't it? When that journey gets twisted, when that journey doesn't quite land where we want, thinking, man, this is rough. But no, not Paul and Silas. Uh, Silas, they, you know, they're going to start singing hymns. That, that would have been my second response, but they just start singing hymns, and I'm thinking, that's amazing. So, I want to go to the next slide. I love this poster. I don't know, some of you, have, have you ever seen this poster? I love those inspirational posters. This one really jumps out. It really speaks to my heart. It says, it, it always appears darkest right before it goes pitch black. And I love this kind of inspirational stuff. You know, it just gives you that good outlook on life. And, you know, one of the reasons I think it resonates with me is, you know, we can get in that pity party of, man, look at all these struggles. But here's what happens. They're in jail, and while they're in there, a great earthquake happens. And during this great earthquake, the chains fall off, the doors open. There's no doubt this is miraculous. Paul and Silas are discerning enough to understand that God is actually doing something really cool here. And while they could get up and walk out, they realize, no, no, no. There's something else we're supposed to do here. And the jailer's about to kill himself. Paul goes, stop! We're all here. The jailer runs over. Please tell me about this Jesus. How can I be saved? Somebody came to you, would you have an answer to that question? Would you have an answer to the question of, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I want to know about this Jesus, how would you respond? When my wife and I were out to dinner some years ago, we went out to Olive Garden. We had this great discussion. And I said to Lisa, I said, you know, I know you're never supposed to say this about anyone, but my stepdad is never coming to Christ. He's just not going to come to Christ. I I have tried. It's like speaking to a wall. We get home that evening. Uh, We go to bed. It's late. We're in bed. was calling this late it's like 10 30 11 at night for some of you that's early sorry if you're teenagers it's definitely early so I'm, I'm trying to figure it out i answer the phone billy hi mom you need to talk to greg okay immediately she puts him on the phone <laughs> awesome i'm thinking right about now i'm feeling really spiritual like really spiritual, I have one thought in my mind. How do I get him off the phone quickly? So he gets on the phone. 
I'm depressed. And I'm thinking, oh no, it's counseling time. So, and he's going to lay in and start sharing some stuff with me, and you would think, okay, here's that moment. That moment where I can be compassionate and loving and show that godly character. So I give all the muster I can and how I'm going to respond, and I say, okay. I'm not being very helpful on this call at all, and he just keeps on going. He could care less whether or not I'm actually reciprocating in this conversation. He just wants to unload. And all I'm thinking about is, wow, that pillow looks soft. And then he finally says, Billy, can you tell me about Jesus? Okay, now I know I'm going to get struck dead if I don't answer. So I say, sure. And by God's grace, I had four verses memorized. And those four separate passages, without even picking up my Bible, I was able to, on the phone, lead him through how he can trust Jesus as his personal Savior. And I'm actually going to give those verses to you at the end. Those verses became critical because even though I was not spiritually in the right place, God provided the opportunity anyway. So in Acts chapter 17, we see that Paul continues on. He goes into Berea. He also goes into Thessalonica. He continues to advance on the churches there. And then he ends up in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 14, we get a glimpse of Paul and how he's going to deal with a group in a completely different region. See, up until now, he's using the Scriptures to kind of make his case. He's using the Scriptures to say, hey, let me show to you that Jesus was supposed to suffer. He was supposed to die. He was supposed to be raised from the dead. And he did that because you and I are sinners and we need to be saved. But when he gets to this group, these are all a bunch of Greeks They don't care what this Bible says. He's talking probably to most of them in just the marketplace, which is a little different. It does say he spoke to people in the synagogues and the marketplace. But even so, it's a little bit of a different group. And Paul realizes that he has to be aware of the culture. So the culture is different here, and because it's different, he has to adapt. He has to understand a few different things. One, we're not coming from a group that already believes in one God. And as I began to reflect on this, and I began to think about Gateway and our communities here, you know what the reality is? Is a lot of our neighbors are Hindu. They're polytheists. Their view of the world is different than ours. If you say, hey, come to church with me on Sunday, that's about as effective as them offering to bring you to their holy place of worship. It just it doesn't resonate. So Paul's trying to look for these connection points. How do I connect with this group? Now normally I'd be thinking, okay, what's that verse, Lord? What's that verse you want me to share? I didn't need a verse. He goes over to an altar with an inscription on it that says, to an unknown God. And he says, that's my end. He says, I want to tell you about this unknown God of yours. See, you guys worship all these different gods, but you have one that you know that you haven't gotten to yet, and it's the unknown God. 
I want to tell you about this God. See, this God is actually responsible for every one of us. The very air that we breathe, the life that we have, is the direct product of this God. In Acts 17, 24 it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, this is cool, by the way. He goes to the Areopagus. This is like where the cool kids debate. They invite him in after he's been speaking in the marketplace. The Areopagus is the hill of Ares, which is the god of war. Appropriate, giving all the debating. So he goes, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He then proceeds to use their poets to convince them into the resurrection and to the veracity of Jesus Christ being Savior. Astounding. No evidence that he's even using Scripture. But here's a timeless truth we need to to hold on to, and that is if you want to impact the culture, you first have to understand it. See, our context and our challenges, our cracks, our chains, and our culture have some significant parallels to Paul's second journey. Our context is we're building a building. That's exciting. Now, one thing that we see, if you look at what Jesus tells the disciples when they go out, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, and I want you to share. And if somebody hears the word and receives it, you plant right there. You set up shop right there. And that's what they would do. And that's what we see when Paul went to Philippi. He found Lydia. They set up shop right there. And then there's this church, the Philippian church, that would be born there. So I think it's exciting that we are actually planting right here. This is where God has done his work. But our challenges, we've already gotten some no's and some challenges along the way. We've accepted those. We're moving on. Our cracks, though, are how is it that we're going to minister? How are we going to get out there? Paul always looked for the communities. Do you know how many communities are represented right here? See, we think of Gateway Community Church, but a lot of times community for us is very inwardly focused. But we're in lots of communities. Maybe you play hockey. Maybe you like sports. Maybe you play poker on Friday nights. Maybe you're in a craft group that makes quilts. You have a community. These communities are where you have an opportunity to connect. These are the cracks. We have to find those cracks. Our chains, I don't know what those chains are going to be yet, but we'll have some. Uh, There's a concept in, in the business world known as the valley of despair. And whenever you go through a change, that change is somewhere in the middle. You end up with excitement, 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 boop, depression and despair because things don't go exactly as you had planned. We will hit that. And it's during those times we have to remember, oh yeah, 
Uh, we're in that valley. We'll come back out. But that's where you're going to realize, okay, we have some chains. We have some obstacles. You know what? Who knew that we needed 6,000 parking spaces? We just didn't get enough parking spaces and that we were going to need, you know, 15,000 seats for the auditorium. You know, and you find you're, okay, you're restricted. We can't do all 15,000 unless Ed does 35 services a week. And so you have to figure out, well, how are we going to adjust? You know what? We really needed six more classrooms. Okay, but you don't have them. How do you operate? Well, you know, uh, we really would have liked to administer, but you guys are always using the soccer fields. Well, maybe the soccer fields are part of what we're doing. We'll have our chains. But we're going to have to be keenly aware of our culture keenly aware of the opportunities that God gives us. See, we're going to have to become fishermen, fisherwomen. We're going to have to go out and really try to advance the gospel in this community. I said I would give you some verses. Here's four verses I would like you to write down. The first verse is Matthew seven thirteen through 14. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. See, this verse says, Broad is the road that leads to destruction and the gate, but narrow the road and the gate that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. See, I love this verse because on the tail end of it, I can read it with somebody and say, hey, based on this, do you think most people are going to heaven? And they'll say, uh, no. Hey, does that scare you? Yes, it does. Well, let's talk about that. Next verse is Romans 3.23. Does I know this verse? Come on. All right, thank you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the clincher is Romans 10.9. See, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can say, Would you like to trust Jesus as your personal Savior? Yes, I would. It's very simple. Just pray and tell them that. There's your confession. I can give you a long, wordy prayer if you want, or you can just do it yourself. I have a video for you guys, and we're going to close on that. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone specifically to win them to Christ? As Christians, we need to get into the habit of preaching the gospel to those around us. Unfortunately, many churches are filled with people who don't do much when it comes to evangelism. So come along now and hear the parable of the Fishless Fisherman's Fellowship. The fishermen were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish, the abundance of fish, and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested that they needed a philosophy of fishing, so they carefully defined and redefined fishing. They also developed fishing strategies and tactics. They began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. A few even got doctorates in fishology. But no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. As prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. A priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards in all the fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. 
Most didn't answer the survey, but from those who did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish, a few to furnish fishing equipment, and several to go around encouraging the fishermen. With so many important meetings, conferences, and seminars, they just simply didn't have time to fish. Now, Jake was a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship. After one stirring meeting of the fellowship, he went fishing and caught a large fish. At the next meeting, he told his story and was honored for his catch. He was told that he had a special gift of fishing. He was then scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell everyone how he did it. With all the speaking invitations and his election of the board of directors, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon, he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug on the line once again. So he canceled the speaking, he resigned from the board, and he said to a friend, hey, let's go fishing. That's exactly what the two of them did. And lo and behold, they caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishermen were few. In Mark 1.17, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. When it comes to evangelism, are you a fisherman who doesn't fish? If that's the case, don't be afraid to follow Jesus. You can trust him. He will make you a fisher of men. So let's go fishing.